Welcome to Oaks of Righteousness, a simple podcast to share stories of older women who witness God's daily faithfulness in ordinary lives. May these stories point the younger generation heavenward and encourage all of us to earnestly seek wisdom from those who have gone before us. Welcome back. Today we talk with Irene Heising. Her and her husband, Howard Heising, serve at the Colorado Springs RP Church. But we met one another when we both attended the LA RP Church. Irene is a woman of deep faith who has left a lasting example to me. I pray I can be just like Irene when I grow up, with her gentle spirit, wise words, and artistic clothing. Irene has played a special role in my life and has been used by God to touch my heart and immensely help my growth and sanctification. It is my prayer that many women could be blessed by a relationship similar to what I had with Irene. Well, I was born in 1946 in Whittier, California. And um, I was born into a solidly middle-class family. Both of my parents grew up kind of poor um, during the Depression. And it was during World War II that they got married, so life was a little bit hard for them. But um, as was true after the World War II, um, things got better and people were able to make more money and have a higher standard of living. And so that was true with, with my family as well. Both my parents um, were Christians, um, though it was simple faith, I think, but I do believe that they were Christians. Um, I was born, I was baptized at the um, United Presbyterian Church, which is now the Presbyterian USA Church, but it was probably more conservative back in those days. And when we moved um, a little bit uh, further away, we started going to a Wesley Methodist Church, so I went there. And when I was in um, high school, almost <clears throat> ready to graduate, I switched to the Brethren Church. And I was baptized there by immersion, so I got all my bases covered, I guess. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> then I went to Cal State Long Beach and got a degree in English and a credential in elementary education. Then um, while I was there, I was involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And um, that was really a significant time in my life, I think, where I grew a lot as um, a Christian. And God really used that, that time to grow my faith and help me to understand what it meant to live um, a Christian life. When I was at the, um, <clears throat> I'm kind of going backwards here, when I was at the Wesleyan Methodist Church, I um, walked the Sawdust Trail several times, as they say, but it was one night after the evening service when I was just alone and kind of a, not a real dramatic moment in, in many ways, but it was like all of a sudden it clicked. The pieces clicked into, pace, into place, and um, I realized it was not what I did, but what Christ had done. 
And um, I look back at that time when I was um, a sophomore in high school um, as when I became a, a believer, but clearly God was working in my life before then to draw me to himself. And um, so anyway, I think though it was, um, so there's been a lot of moments in my life where God um, had pieces click into place. And um, when I was in college and with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, that was one of those times. And um, yeah. Thank you. That's my growing up years in a nutshell. <laughs> Wonderful. And what about how did you meet Har Howard? Well, both of us had been out of college for a few years. So I went through two other ways of friends getting married after high school and after college. But um, we met kind of, um, um, God had to go through um, some complicated circumstances to, to get us together at that point. We had actually had times in common and he was um, at a an university camp retreat that I went to uh, when I was in college and uh, I actually have a photograph of him <clears throat> in a small group that a friend of mine was in and um, but we didn't we didn't ever meet at it but both of us had a lot of things that God needed to work on so um, so anyway, he waited until we were a little older. Nice. So was it at a job site that you met? No. I I had been at a retreat, singles retreat at a camp called Forest Home. And there was a group of, um, well, there was a couple who led the music. They were opera singers and um a few weeks later, after the retreat, the singles group that he was in in Newport Beach invited this couple to come in and sing and, I guess, take part in stuff. So a friend and I went to went there to um, visit this group, and um, we met there. Wow. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know that story. Um, and when you guys got married, you continued to live in California and stay there when you had your first kids? Yes. We, um, we lived in Irvine when we first got married for a year. Then we moved to San Juan Capistrano, bought our first tiny house, and then moved to Orange in 1977 and lived there until 2019 when we moved to Colorado. Nice. I'm going to go backwards a little bit, Irene. Okay. What was dating like back when you guys dated? I don't know that it's a lot was a lot different. We we went places together. We went to the Renaissance Fair, the the one I want to say the original one in California, but I'm not sure about that. And we um spent time with this group in Newport Beach, singles group, and we went on retreats with them. 
them and different outings. So I guess a lot of it really centered around that, that group in Newport Beach. But we went to movies and we spent, just spent time with each other in, um, at our apartments and I don't know, regular stuff. Did you guys have any particular tensions when you were dating that you had to work through? Um, you know, we really didn't. Um, in fact, the principal at the school I was teaching at was concerned about that. He thought we needed to go through, have a major falling out first before we um, got married. Um, he had to break some news to me that was was hard for him, but I don't think it caused attention. Maybe it should have, but it didn't. How long did you date for? Um, not very long. I think our first date was in March of 70, and we got married in June of 71. Wow. <laughs> And at what time did you guys start joining the RPCNA? Because that was after you were married. Is that right? Well, I joined after we were married. He grew up in the RPCNA. Oh, that's So he grew up in the L.A. congregation. And we started going together to that church. At the time, I was going to a brethren church in Long Beach when we met. But, um, but I started going to the RP church with him and became a member Shortly after we got married, he did not press me to do that, but we had to work out, work through things like infant baptism and, you know, the usual things. What were some of your first impressions of the RP Church? Um, that was a long time ago. Uh, I liked it. For, for me, the Reformed faith was one of those moments where the pieces fell into place. And uh, the theology made sense to me. And the people were, well, like now, kind of like family. So I got to know them well. Though um, Evelyn Birdsell, near the end of her life, when she was maybe having a little bit of memory issues, said that she thought I was kind of weird or strange when she first met me, but we became friends after that. That's great to hear. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go into the kind of big question for today. Would you share with us a particular struggle that has shaped your relationship with God and through which you learned a greater intimacy with Christ? Well, there there have actually been a number of those times. A lot of them had to do with finances and um, my own drive to measure up, which um, leads into all sorts of interesting um, sinful patterns of being judgmental and, and fearful and all sorts of things. Um, but I, probably the, the one thing that has been um, kind of a huge thing in our lives was started when we were dating. <clears throat> um, Howard uh, set me down one evening in his apartment to kind of 
share part of his story with me, and he's given me permission to share that with you all as well. Um, he started out um, going back over his life, and it was a long conversation and kind of stepped through some of the things that um, shaped his life. And I didn't know where he was heading in this conversation, so it was a little um, concerning because I didn't know what terrible thing he was going to tell me that he'd been involved in. Um, and all sorts of things were kind of going through my mind. And I was wondering how I would respond to it. But um, in the end, he shared that he had been, um, he had dealt with same-sex attraction. And I'm going to use the term SSA because it's easier to say. Um, and um, at, at the time, it was not something that I really knew much of anything about. It wasn't the huge issue as it is now. It, it may have been an issue, I'm sure it was, but it wasn't public, a public issue. And we, I don't remember talking about it in church or anything. So it wasn't the big, almost unfor unforgivable sin that it has become today in the church. And so um, it just seemed, it, everything he had said helped me understand the source of the struggle, as well as the um, measure of victory that he'd had. And um, he had been going through some counseling and felt like he had, had achieved a certain measure of victory over it. So I, it seems to me in my memory that we kind of just moved on from there. We didn't really dwell on that. And... Um, so we went on with our relationship and um, got married, had two kids, um, and life was busy. So we didn't really have time to sort through um, all the, the things that were driving us in our life. We were just, uh, maybe not survival mode, but kind of, I think. And then... Um, Something happened in our culture. The World Wide Web um, kind of took the world by storm. And it brought into our lives all kinds of things just at our fingertips in the privacy of our homes. And it was the, the good, the bad, and the ugly or evil. <laughs> and um, it brought with it certain temptations as well. And... Um, he struggled for a time with, um, with the internet and temptations that it brought. Um, I didn't know about that at the time because again, you can, you can just be you and your computer and, um, not have to deal with, not tell anybody. Nobody had to, had to know what was going on, but um, he realized that the struggle was not good and he wasn't being successful in dealing with it on his own with God. And he talked to our pastor at the time and 
I think he must have talked with a good friend of his that he uh, worked with. He was self-employed, but worked in an office with um, a Christian friend of his. And he learned about a, a program called Living Waters that um, dealt with Christians who were struggling with SSA. So <clears throat> we went to this kind of program that told about it <clears throat> with our pastor. And I, I, I'm trying to remember why I was invited to go, but I think it probably had to do with the fact that I knew that he had struggled with that. And during the break, our pastor found a quiet place to work on his sermon while, while Howard and I talked and Howard shared with me what his struggle had been. So uh, he did take part in that program, gained a huge amount of freedom from, from the um, temptation. And um, a couple of years later, I went through the program as well because it was... It had a lot of good things to offer just in general, although the focus, main focus, was people struggling with SSA in the church. And so um, we ended up working as with this group for several years as um, leaders on the team. And um, it, it really was a huge um part of our lives and those people are friends now and even though I didn't struggle with same-sex attraction it was I saw a lot in common with my friends who were and um, it seems like the specific sins that we engage in at the root are pretty much the same and so it was helpful to to be able to see that and to get down into some of the major issues that are at the base of of um at the root of our sin and then one of the focuses was um at the end of the program was to encourage people to be involved in their local church and to be willing to let God use them as they were a bit transparent with other people in the church. And that was kind of a scary thing for a lot of people, but one of the areas where being part of the RPCNA was, is helpful in that we're smaller and, and a family and and so it was a little easier. He had shared with um, our pastor and the elders, so they all knew what his struggle had been. And um, they, at one point, the session wanted to establish a, a men's prayer breakfast once a month or so. And as part of that, they wanted different people to share their testimonies. And I don't know if that continued, but uh, they asked Howard to be the first one to share his testimony. And I actually, that was maybe harder for me than it was for him. I thought I might be physically ill knowing that he was going to share 
publicly um, with people that we worshipped with every week, and they were our probably our family in ways that our our real family, um, you know, wasn't. So, um, <clears throat> so anyway, I was in prayer during that time for him, and uh, but it was good. It was a good experience and I think it helped other people be more open and people who were struggling with uh, various kinds of sin that tend to grab a hold especially um, that were in some way sexual and um, our pastor would occasionally um, tell somebody or a couple Hey, go talk to Howard and Irene because they knew that we shared kind of a a little bit com, common experience and um, so we've had some really special tender times with people being able to share and um, where sometimes it's just not as easy to share with other people and so it's it's nice that God is able to put people together and maybe they don't have any more wisdom than anybody else, but um, they have a shared experience and can be a safe place to talk. And um, I would say <clears throat> if we have, um, if God has used us in ways that we've been able to see, it has not been because of our stellar theology or um, our brilliance, but it's been because of our struggle and um, and maybe being willing to be transparent uh, with other people. And so, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing yours and Howard's story. Could you share a little bit more about your reaction and maybe how God worked in you to overcome lies from Satan or just personal struggles you had in response? Yes. Um, so, um, things, I mean, it, it wasn't just this one time experience of, um, being healed and, and, um, restored. And then there were never any problems that came up. So there, there were now and then times where he would come and share with me, um, nothing huge, but um, just a way that he had um, fallen, as they say. And it was especially initially easy to, to forgive and to pray for him and with him. Um, but it maybe became a increasingly more difficult because I just didn't know, well, how many times do I need to do that? Like, um, Peter saying, well, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? Seven times? And um, so that was maybe a little difficult. And then there was um, an instant that kind of instance that brought things to a head. And, um, and it was really hard. Um, I think I've told Evelyn before, I think I told you that, um, I just was hurt and angry and for some reason I decided to go out and 
splurge on money we didn't have to get a pedicure with red polish just seemed to to uh, feed into that anger and hurt and the poor little sweet Vietnamese lady who was trying to make conversation with her broken English and I was I'm sure it was obvious I was on the verge of just a flood of tears kind of coming out so anyway on the way home it occurred to me I'm sure from God that you know Howard isn't the enemy Satan is the enemy he would take what was not a good thing but he would take it and he would use it to destroy our marriage to make things difficult for our children probably to bring harm to the church to um, wreak havoc with our testimony before the world and somehow that kind of redirected my anger toward Satan and it gave me a desire to enter into the battle with Howard um, so that um, I could help him in that battle with um, temptation and um, and I need him too to, to do that. It was um, it's just so easy to see that as a, a well sexual sin in general as like the worst it could be and maybe in some ways in our culture in our worldly lives there's maybe some truth in that but before God it you know where where all, all our sin is heinous before him and my not believing that he's really forgiven me and being able to receive his grace and mercy in ways that overflow into other people's lives. Um, I mean, that's really, it's like somebody, there's one author, I can't say who it was, but used the term a uh, cosmic slap in the face of God to, to not trust or to not forgive or to whatever. And... So, um, so I, Howard has been um, really faithful in, in the battle and um, seemingly, you know, in the past years, successful in that um, God has been successful in strengthening him. And um, I really appreciate his integrity in doing that and. So, yeah, those are have been some of my reactions. That, that's helpful to hear and to think through, just to see how God's been working in your heart through that. Yeah. Would you talk a little bit more about how grief and suffering pray, played a role in your hope in the gospel? I think that uh, maybe there's several things. One is that it's such a comfort to know that God looks down on us, not ready to squash us because of our sin, but in, um, in grace, not just to forgive, but to strengthen us, that he has compassion on us because Christ has 
endured great suffering in this life. And we suffer, and all of us suffer in ways in this life. So it's um, it's a comfort to know that he has pity on us and is strengthening us. Um, it's helped me. Okay, I'm losing track of my thoughts. It's helped help me to know that um, he uses not only the the good things that are things that we see as good um, that make life simpler and easier, but he also uses the hard things to grow us and to make us stronger. And so, while I don't seek out more hard things in my life, I appreciate what what God has done and how he has worked through the hard things in Howard's life and and then also in my life and used it to show us his presence, his strength, his um his mercy and grace. I there's a, a psalm, Psalm 18, that um, really was significant to me at one point. We had been going to counseling to kind of um, make things different, so to not fall back into the same kind of patterns. And on the way home one day, I was reading for a Bible study or something, I was reading Psalm 18, and I saw that God had just come down in a fury to rescue David from his enemy. And um, they say that our our um, understanding of God or our the way we view God has a lot to do with how we view our fathers, how, how our fathers were. And my father was always very good and kind um but i think he was maybe a little passive as well and so i have no trouble seeing god as good but to see him as powerful is something i know he is but with my inner being it's hard to see sometimes and this um psalm really ministered to that so i really appreciated that and um Another psalm that actually God used in my life earlier at a time that I needed it, but comes back to mind in those times is Psalm 73. So in Psalm 73, it starts out with the psalmist talking about how he looked at all the bad things that were happening um, uh, as a result of evil in the world and how the wicked... Um, were um, almost rewarded. They did well. They didn't suffer like the, the righteous. And, uh, well, I don't see Howard as wicked, but um, still, uh, w what I appreciated about that was that he felt like on the verge, I guess, kind of, of denying his faith because that was just a hard thing for him until he entered the sanctuary of God. And then the, the rest of the psalm 
ha talks about God being with us and holding our hands and okay I'm not expressing it well at all but it was it was really it was just a beautiful thing in my life at one point in fact I had to get up and leave the sanctuary because I was just like crying so hard because it was it met me at a place that was um, deep and um, so anyway that that psalm also so he uses those hard times to help us know him better mm -hmm. thank you that was beautiful good to hear how different psalms affect different people at different times in their life just yeah. there's so much in the psalms I'm not sure how to phrase this question exactly but is there something specific about the life of Christ or what Christ did for us that became so much more clear to you through this? Um, well, we always talk about um, Christ dying on the cross for us and certainly his um, death and resurrection are what gives us life um, in him. But I hadn't always contemplated the difficulty of living this life and how um, his suffering in, just as his humility and suffering in this world during his life was also a part of it that he is able to be our uh, figurehead um, in salvation because not only that he died, but he, because he, he lived in this life and did it without sin, something that none of the rest of us can do. And so I know that, that Jesus understands what it's like to live in this world. And so I, I think maybe that's one thing that it's helped me to understand. And maybe also in that battle with Satan, that it's enabled me to recognize that that the main battle isn't um, with me. It's not about me. The main battle is between Satan and Christ and the Christ Church. And Christ has won the battle, but Satan is doing everything he can to wreak havoc with Christ Church and and so I think that it helps to go through times of difficulty and and it's so those times have kind of helped me see see God in the midst of difficult times and kind of say with uh, Joshua for me and my house we will serve the Lord I mean we kind of have a choice at times and and the Holy Spirit within us helps us to make, to choose Christ and not the things of this world. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but it does. I, and I think it is incredible to hear how suffering draws people to know Christ in a way that they maybe wouldn't have known if they didn't suffer or even to understand his suffering more and sort of have this intimacy that if you didn't suffer, you wouldn't have. 
And right. that's something you've, in previous conversations, have taught me or I've reflected off of um, in, from your life and from my own. And so it's been a joy to learn from you and sit under your mentorship. I'm going to ask just a couple more questions. Who did God put into your life to shape you and how? Uh, it's been a long life, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, Howard has, um, and our, re our marriage has shaped who I am. Our children helped as well. So I have often said I could have gone my whole life thinking I was a nice person, but God gave me children and helped me to understand that I have my weaknesses, definitely. And so God has used them as well. I think probably our pastors, I can think of, you know, each one of them in ways that they have um, helped. They've encouraged me and... Um, They've all been good for some reason at looking at what people can do and what they're willing to do and showing them how to to work in God's church and to be um, effective in God's church. And while I don't always see that effectiveness, I think that it's been helpful to have that. So... They have, again, the the program in with Living Waters was huge in my life, I think, my own life, and kind of dealing with the things that, <clears throat> that shaped my life and my thinking that were flawed, and to bring them in conformity more with Christ and to stand in who I am in Christ, to understand who I am in Christ. Um, and so that's been helpful and, I, and I'm sure and friends like you guys God has used in my life to watch you go through difficult things with courage and um, just I know I'm forgetting people but um, interestingly I think and I hope that's true with us as well, that in the end, you see that it's God who's doing the work. And so God uses us, but he becomes the primary focus. So I don't know if that's part of it or not. That makes sense to me. I know you shared a couple passages of scripture, but I just wanted to go back to that question just in case you have more. Are there any passages in scripture that have particularly spoken to your struggle? If I, I don't know if I can read them, but there were several that came to mind when I read that question. And one is Romans 8, like the whole chapter. I'm not going to read it, but it really talks to our... I think they've entitled it Life in Christ and how God uses um, like a couple of verses that kind of come to mind is 
all things work together for good, and I'm probably saying it a little bit wrong, for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. That is something I think about a lot, and um, that was certainly true in our lives as we went through our struggle. Um, another one is First John 3, verses 2 and 3. Um, okay, I'm not reading it, but it's something to the effect of, um, Beloved, now um, we are God's children. And we don't know what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And having thus having that hope, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. And that gives me hope because so often I, I feel like it's two steps forward and five backwards. And I don't always see my growth and sanctification, but I can be confident that God is doing the work and that he will bring it to completion. And so it's an encouragement to keep battling with sin and battling and to put it to death and doing that in the strength of Christ. And I do that better sometimes than others. But, you know, God, God is in charge of that and he will make it happen. And I think Psalm... 73 was one that I was looking at, and hmm, maybe there was another, but I I guess another verse in, in Romans 8 was, um, I'm not good at quoting verses word for word, but that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so nothing in this world or in the, the spiritual realm, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And I, that's just a tremendous encouragement to me in whatever struggle I'm going through or even when things are going great, just to, to remember that it's God's love for me, not my own ability to love God, but God's love will not ever let me go. And Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, but I'll let you read that on your own. But it's, I love that prayer of Paul's. Thank you. I will be sure to look up that one tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I got another question for you. What has serving the church looked like at different stages of your life? That's an interesting question, especially having having moved from um, the L.A. congregation to the Springs congregation. Um, and the Springs congregation is bigger, and uh, there's a lot of really competent people. And so I think at different stages in my life, God has used me and put me in positions of leadership at times, when to teach me how to do that and that's I appreciate that he he did that I was going to say that he trusted me but it's him that he he was doing it and then as you get to know the church better you end up doing things because you see needs and just do them and now I 
although I'm still more um, involved than I had planned to be when we got to the Springs, but um, but I'm aware too that it's a time of stepping back in leadership and and being encouragement to other people. So now isn't the time to be upfront and um, it's it's a time to to let the younger people um, take take on those leadership roles and make decisions. And I may agree with them sometimes and not, but God is using them. And um, so I, I think God does use us in different ways at different times. Definitely. Those are all my questions. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you for having your sweet face <laughs> on the screen while I'm doing that. That really makes a difference. That's good. <laughs> Um, yeah, you've mentioned already that you've had a chance to share this personally with a lot of, with, you know, a very, a few people and now you get to share it more broadly, which I think is amazing that God can use hard things to bless others and just continue generation to generation of helping, um, people walk in faithfulness. Yeah. So I really appreciate your, your willingness to be vulnerable and share. Well, it's been a pleasure, a scary pleasure, but a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Oaks of Righteousness. At this time, we will be doing a little bit of a, a post-discussion, Evelyn and I. Um, as you heard, a lot of what Irene shared also relates uh, directly to her husband, Howard. And Howard has been a big influence on my life, as Irene has been an influence on Evelyn's life. Um, so... When I think of kind of the role that Howard and Irene, and particularly how Howard has, has served and mentored me and, and influenced me, I think of Proverbs twenty eight thirteen, which says, Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And um, Howard really demonstrated what it, what it looks like to not conceal sin to me. And Howard and Irene uh, mentored us uh, through some difficult times in our marriage. And we're always uh, a couple that we went to um, when we needed uh, someone to talk through, particularly related to my sin and how it affected our marriage. Um, and the reason we went to them was just because of how vulnerable and humble um, Howard had always been with us. Uh, early on in getting to know Howard at the L.A. church, um, we were having a conversation one time and he just very naturally brought up his own struggle with sin. Uh, he didn't overshare. He wasn't asking for pity or, or making things all about him. He wasn't making light of his sin. Um, but through the act of humility, he opened the door to show me that he was a trusted and understanding person to be able to, to share with, to share deeper, uh, more more vulnerable things. And uh, he just he showed that, that his struggle with sin wasn't something um, to, to conceal. Um, it was something that he was actively uh, seeking to put to death, and that meant that it that related to just regular life together, and it, it, it was brought into our conversations together. Uh, I didn't share anything with him right then, uh, and as our relationship grew, he shared more and more with, with me of himself, and when I was finally willing and really needed to share about my own struggles and needed help, he was one of the first people that I thought to go to. 
Um, I knew that he would be an understanding ear, that he, he wouldn't just make light of my sin, um, but he would also uh, encourage me to, to put it to death. Uh, our interactions together weren't programmatic. It wasn't uh, strategic on his part. Uh, he, I'm sure he didn't, didn't know if, if our conversations together would lead to me pursuing him um, for some r- real accountability, some real help. But it was just genuine life together as the body of Christ. It was relationship. Um, but it also required uh, a willingness to, to be loving. Uh, they, Howard and Irene really loved Evelyn and I and just showed us they were very willing to do that. And part of what we're hoping uh, comes through in this episode and, and is uh, a result of our converse, or Evelyn and Irene's conversation today is that, that we all would just grow in our willingness to um, be available, to show that we can be um, a listening ear, but also to be vulnerable with our own struggles so that, so that we can gain trust with one another. Um, Howard, and I, Howard and Irene really demonstrated the, the one another passages of what the church ought to look like. There's a lot of one another passage in the Bible. Uh, and those passages require a certain uh, humility, a, a vulnerability. And it required giving of time and enjoying one another. Uh, Howard and Irene really showed us that they, they enjoy us as a couple and we really enjoyed them. And, and that laid a foundation for, for more depth in the relationship. Um, some examples of those one another passages that they really demonstrated, uh, Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another, be devoted to one another in love, Romans 12.10, uh, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2, pray for one another, James 5.16, encourage and build one another up, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And uh, through all of those, uh, Howard and Irene uh, put those into practice in, in just ordinary, genuine um, ways that were really a, an encouragement to us in our marriage. And they helped battle uh, sin uh, with us by putting those verses into practice. Um, during this time when I was struggling with hurt and disappointment um, and even some anger over sin and its concealment, because um, it was sin that personally affected me as well um, in kind of the sexual nature Um, so Irene, as she had kind of struggled with this too, reminded me of many gospel truths and scripture gives us a model to live by. If there is a true repentance over sin and confession of particular sins and a willingness for the sinner to involve other godly people and a desire towards gospel change, then forgiveness must be offered a true forgiveness where bitterness and anger is put away, where there is a commitment not to bring up sin to harm and a gentleness to help your spouse in ways you can. This reconciliation takes time, and it doesn't eliminate sadness and grief. There is a time to be sad and lament, and the Psalms give voice to that. But over time, there is a new and deeper joy built in Christ, and in this long, long, slow, long road toward trust and complete restoration. Irene mentioned to me after we met for this podcast that she was in no way Uh, wanting to encourage women experience abuse to remain in their situation. She herself never felt threatened in any way, um, and Howard was humble and grieved by his own sin, which is an an important mark of true repentance. Um, One truth that was specifically helpful for for me was when Irene reminded me of the cosmic battle. Satan wants us to stay in bitterness. Satan wants us to stay in unforgiveness, and then he wins. She wrote this in an email to me. The enemy would love to take these circumstances in your life and use them to destroy your marriage 
and in doing so damage Christ's kingdom work in you and through you both. I encourage you to direct your fight against the enemy. One way he might do this is to keep you focused on the outward things that hurt you instead of on the root causes, causes that Christ can overcome. Truly, it has been hurtful. You should not validate Jonathan's actions, but take heart in the spiritual integrity of confession and work together to graciously explore the underlying causes and deal with them in a redemptive way. So, yeah, we just want to encourage anyone listening who struggles with different various sins and concealment is our natural course we go to, um, not to conceal and to confess to your spouse or to friends or um, to someone in the church if you need help, um, and that there is a lot of life and um, abundant life in bringing those things to Christ. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that it will encourage you to earnestly seek relationships from the wise women and men in your church community. If you are older and listening, I hope this podcast encourages you to seek us younger ones out and speak into our lives. Thank you to everyone who has supported us and a special thanks to my husband, Jonathan Cruz, for producing this podcast. If you know of someone to recommend that we interview, we love getting suggestions. Again, you can email us with recommendations at cruise.oaks at gmail.com. That's K-R-U-I-S period oaks at gmail.com. Isaiah 61.3 To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified.